say, can you see? Well, thank you so much to all of those who have helped to put our worship services together. Uh, for Brandon Bull, who was our liturgist this morning. Um, for our special music from Rich Rubietta. Rich Rubietta serves as our Northern Illinois Conference evangelist. evangelist. Um, and uh, this past year, uh, I had the privilege of working with Rich um, as we developed our worship services for our Northern Illinois Conference annual conference, which, um, like most things, moved from in-person to virtual. Um, and this was one of the pieces that Rich put together for our annual conference um, and offers as a, offered as a gift to share with all of the churches of the conference uh, to be able to share in worship. So thank you to Rich and to all those who uh, participated in that. And of course, um, for Gary Brubaker and our praise team who have continued to put our music together, thank you so much uh, for all of your creativity and your work and your dedication. It's so appreciated. And now we continue in our Lenten series on learning to walk in the dark, talking about these wilderness stories. We've looked at the stories of scripture about wilderness, and we've looked at the stories of Hagar and Jacob, of Moses, and, um, and of Jesus, uh, to see what we take with us into and out of the wilderness. Uh, as I've shared, the question that Bishop Luttrell Easterling of the Baltimore-Washington Annual Conference, um, she had, she'd asked is, what are we prepared to leave in the wilderness when we emerge? So what do we leave behind and what lessons do we keep? So this morning, we're looking at the story of Jesus's transfiguration. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let's talk about the wilderness again. Um, just imagining what this wilderness is. Now, for each of us, the wilderness might look slightly different. Um, I was talking with a friend recently, and we were talking about the image of the wilderness. Um, and, and my first response to what does the wilderness look like is kind of like maybe a forest, like a forest that's um, got lots of trees in it. Um, and I asked her, I said, well, what's your vision of the wilderness? And she said, downtown Chicago. Um, and she said it's a place that, that both terrifies and excites her. Um, and so, you know, our pictures of what the wilderness look like are different. And throughout the stories of scripture, they look different also. Maybe not quite like downtown Chicago, but still they look a little bit different. And so we can talk about the wilderness as a physical location, like the Israelites wandering around the wilderness, or as sort of that emotional location, um, that place where it feels like everything around you has fallen apart. Maybe you feel lost or lonely or isolated or confused. And oftentimes the wilderness is, is sort of that place that's talked about the abandonment of God, or it feels like you're alone and God isn't with you. Now, each of the stories that we've had from the wilderness, and truly most of the stories from the wilderness, remind us that, that that's not true. Even though it may feel like God is not there, God has been with us all along. And so that's what these stories of the wilderness also remind us, is that in the wilderness, we're often changed. So we come to our story for this morning. Um, the story of Jesus's transfiguration. 
Now, for some of you who are um, who are liturgical, um, in the know, know the liturgical calendar backwards and forwards, you're probably thinking, now, Pastor Melissa, this is not Transfiguration Sunday. And you're right. Um, but we're still going to hear the story today. And you're also probably thinking, Pastor Melissa, I know this story. This is not a story about wilderness. Jesus's transfiguration doesn't really take place in the wilderness. Um, in fact, it takes place on the peak of a mountain or on the mountain. Um, and mountains throughout scripture are often a place where something truly incredible happens. Something truly incredible and holy happens. Um, it's a high point, and it's usually discussed or talked about throughout Scripture as, as the place where the holy, where God and human meet, the holy and the divine or the uh, human or the profane, sacred, um, when, they, when they meet together. And so it's really, um, it's a high point. Um, Moses went up the mountain to get the laws and to see God face to face. Um, Jesus usually goes up to the mountain to pray. And so mountains are kind of the, I mean, probably almost the opposite of the wilderness. So if in the wilderness one feels disconnected from God, in on the mountain one feels intimately and deeply connected to God. So... How does this fit into our series of the wilderness? I promise I'm going to make that connection for you. So just go with me. So we start with this passage. And in the very beginning of the passage, it says six days later. And that's always curious to me when, when a passage starts with like six days later or after that. Um, like what happened before that? What was that six days before like? Is it important? I mean, it's clearly a little bit important because they make that comment like six days later. And so prior to this, in that six days before, Jesus was teaching and talking and preaching about his death and resurrection. And he was also talking and teaching about the cross and about self-denial. Um, for just a few verses just before our passage in Matthew 16. So this is Matthew 16, 24 to 28. Um, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So six days earlier... This is what was happening, and this is what was being said. Six days earlier, Jesus, and or six days later, after this teaching, six days later, Jesus and some of the disciples, not all of them, Peter, James, and John, are on the mountain with Jesus. 
And this is another one of those stories, similar to our story from last week, that is covered in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story. John doesn't. Um, some say that there's a version of it within John, but it's not the same as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and so six days later, Jesus and Peter, James, and John are on the mountain with Jesus. And this amazing thing happens. On the mountain, we have this transfiguration. Jesus turns all like glittery and shimmery and shiny. This is, uh, I mean, one of my favorite Jesuses, like glitter Jesus. Um, but Jesus turns glittery and shiny and light, uh, light, bright. And also Moses and Elijah were there. So this is a really um, supernatural, miraculous experience. And for the Jewish men that were there, especially for Peter, James, and John, seeing Moses and Elijah is really a big deal. These are two heroes of their faith. I mean, this moment with Jesus and Moses and Elijah all together, it's a moment. So Moses is the person who led uh, the people out of slavery um, to freedom from uh, Egypt to the promised land. Moses shared the law with the people. And then Elijah was a great prophet and was believed to be the forerunner to the Messiah. So the significance of this moment can't be undersold. And it's also kind of a a confusing story or a strange story for some of us. I mean, for, for maybe for you, the supernatural part of it, like the miraculous part of it, the um, glittery, shimmery Jesus with Moses and Elijah feels a little like, woo-woo, and that's okay. The truth of this is that this is a, a, a an experience, and sometimes our mystical experiences can't always be put into words, or if they are, for some people it's kind of like, ah, woo-woo, um, and yet for the person who experienced it, it was very real. And so this moment, the significance of this moment with these three individuals, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah being together is a big deal. So it's not at all lost on Peter, James, and John either, as they fall to the ground in fear when they hear God's voice. And they hear God saying the same thing that God said at Jesus' baptism. This is my son. Listen to him. And so in this experience, Peter says, I know what I'll do. We're going to build some dwellings. We're going to stay here on the mountain and we're going to build dwellings for Jesus, for Moses and Elijah. We're going to do this. We're going to build these buildings. We're going to build these temples. We're going to build these churches and we'll stay here. And I'm going to keep Moses, Jesus and Elijah. We're going to keep them safe. Now, Jesus disagrees with this plan. And so he wakes the disciples up after they've collapsed, after hearing God's voice, and uh, tells them to get up and go, and they go down the mountain together. And I wonder what that conversation was like among Peter, James, and John. I mean, were they talking about what just happened and, and trying to make sense? Or maybe even just talking amongst each other like, did we, did we actually see what we think we saw? Did, did that really happen? 
And then, and then Jesus tells them, oh, by the way, you can't tell anybody about this. This amazing, miraculous thing that just happened, probably the most incredible thing you've ever experienced in your whole life, you can't tell anybody. I mean, I want to tell everybody. And Jesus just said, no, you can't tell anybody until the Son of Man returns. I mean, this thing was so unexplainable, but it also probably answered a lot of questions. You know, those questions of, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? Are we really following the right person? And then you see Moses and Elijah, you're like, oh my gosh, this is right. But I can't tell anybody how I know that it's right. I mean, how do you keep something like that to yourself? So the mountain, it really would have been easier for them to stay on the mountain. I mean, they were in this, this holy moment, this incredible peace and holiness, like no one had ever experienced or, or had only been imagined in the presence of God and of the heroes of their faith. This is what everyone has been hoping for. And of course, Peter would say, let's stay here because let's enjoy this together, in part because he knows what happens when they go down. When they leave the mountain, it's not the same peace or holiness that they experience. They're in challenging times. They're in times of Jesus being challenged. This is coming up to the end of his ministry, the end of his life. And so there are threats and tests, and it's not, it's not the peace and holiness. And so in this place on the top of the mountain, this is what they've been waiting for, they've been working for, they've been hoping for. And so, of course, I, I would say, let's just stay here and enjoy this together. Except Jesus knows better. Jesus always knows better. <laughs> Jesus knows that not everyone is experiencing this right now. I mean, it's really just the four of them. Jesus and Peter and James and John, well, and Moses and Elijah too, but it's just a small group. And we can't stay here. We have to bring this to everyone. Throughout this series, and really throughout this past year, we've been talking about the challenges of the wilderness. And it's true. And in the middle of the challenges, it's easy to both be so disoriented and to forget who we are or, or even where we're going. I mean, the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt because that was safer. We forget who we are, whose we are, or where we're going. And, and when we're disoriented, it can just feel so easy to just focus on ourselves our own personal discomfort, our own personal lostness, and those things exist. But sometimes in our focusing on ourselves, we forget that others are feeling 
something similar. And although the experiences might be different, just as the wilderness of the, the picture of the wilderness is different, we're all experiencing this lostness and confusion and, and this wilderness. And when we find something that gives us hope, it can be easy for that to be something that we just keep for ourselves. But that's not what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just about our own comfort, but also how we care for one another. Just as Jesus taught six days earlier to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. To be reminded that when one of us hurts, we all hurt. And so we can't stay on the mountain when not everyone is on the mountain. As a pastor, um, I met, I meet with lots of people. Um, and uh, in particular, I was meeting with this woman um, and she had just gotten the news that she'd be unable to have children. And she was devastated and grieving the changes that this would mean to the hopes and the dreams that she and her husband had for the future. We spent, oh gosh, I don't even know, we spent so many hours and weeks just walking through this grief together. And she um, was in our Bible study. Uh, we were in a Bible study together. And, um, and one day in Bible study, she just made this, just this small and passing comment um, about infertility. And, um, and then she moved on quickly, not, not really wanting to, to share her story and not ready to share her story. Um, and it was a story that she was still very much in the middle of. And so she made this passing comment and the woman who was sitting next to her just silently, she put her hand on top of her hand and there were no words. It was just one of those sort of reassuring pats and just left her hand on top of her hand. And at the end of Bible study, um, after everyone in the room had left, um, it was just the three of us. And these two women were still sitting in the same position, hand on hand. And the younger woman just had her eyes closed and she just started to shake. And the older woman grabbed her by the shoulders and pulled her around and looked at her. And then she said, this might be the hardest thing that you'll ever have to go through. Trust me, I know. And then she grabbed her hands and she said, you have not and will not go alone. There are others of us who have walked this trail before you and we'll come back to the beginning and we'll walk it again, mostly because we haven't made it to the end yet. And we know. It was this deeply holy moment. And quite honestly, 
it was a transfiguration moment because it was these two women and I felt like this observer to this holiness that was there. It was these two women, but it was also the Trinity, like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the heroes and heroines of faith surrounding them in this glittery light. And I just, I just quietly slipped out of the room trying not to cry. I I just quietly slipped out of the room uh, for these two women to share their stories together as they both were reminded that they're not alone. Sometimes, especially in the wilderness, we need that reminder. We are never, ever alone. I love what she said. There are others of us who have walked this trail before you and will come back to the beginning and walk it again, mostly because we haven't made it to the end ourselves and we know. When we get to a mountain, it's comfortable and we want to stay. Peter wanted to stay with just the few people that were there. But Jesus knew that there were others who needed to be there too. Others who needed to hear a message of hope and love and grace. Others who couldn't make it up to the mountain on their own. Get up, he said. Get up and do not be afraid. Go down the mountain. Go back to the beginning. It's not over yet. Continue the journey. And we do this because hope is contagious. And it's also very messy. Hope promises things in the middle of things that you can't even begin to think might be reality, but you hope. Hope is messy. Hope is gritty. It takes work to hope. And slivers of hope will continue to find us as we find each other. Morgan Harper Nichols, who is a poet, she said, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is the audacity to believe after all that I have been through, there is more ahead of me. Get up. Do not be afraid. Hope is not something we keep to ourselves. We may find a mountain and we don't stay there. We share the message of a mountain with others. Get up. Do not be afraid. We'll get there. And we'll get there together. Amen.